Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This edition of How to Be a CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. ES Audio. Some roles come with certain ways and traditions that may stretch back even centuries. So what happens if you get one and then realise it doesn't have to be like this? I think in general practice, human contact is definitely important, but not always. So I think that's, you know, and and I'm definitely not advocating that everything should be online. There's always a place for face-to-face or phone. But I think, you know, actually sometimes for some conditions, you don't need to come in. This is an invitation to meet Dr. Murray Ellender, CEO of eConsult, an online consultation service used by more than 3,200 GP practices in the UK. So eConsult is a platform that allows patients to interact online with their own GP. So they go in either through the NHS app or through their GP practice website and answer a series of questions about their condition. And so say they have back pain, the system will ask them all the same questions that they would answer if they were sat in front of a doctor. That information then gets collated and pushed through to their doctor and they review it within 24 hours. So we say to the patient, you will get a response back by the end of the next working day. So this is a story about disrupting the status quo and how to convince people that just because it's always been done one way, it doesn't mean there isn't another. I'm David Marlson from the Evening Standard. We're meeting Murray at the Docklands Medical Centre on the Isle of Dogs in London. It's a special place for him. This is where he started his career as a GP. It was um, incredibly exciting um, to, you know, walk into a, a GP setting and know that actually this was this was the future. I'd be working in general practice for the rest of my life in in one way or another. Um, so yeah, it was incredibly exciting. Slightly intimidating, I'd say as well. What happened first? How did eConsult transform? The first step was not thinking we need to set up a company. The the first thing actually was thinking, look, actually, we've got a great opportunity here. We've got a a, almost like a, a, a laboratory to test new ways of working in. We had a GP practice. We had willing doctors, nurses, receptionists and patients who didn't mind trying new things. I mean, no patient minds trying a new a new way of interacting. So actually, we tried various things. We tried, we set up a, a kind of live chat service with a GP. But actually, that's a bit unmanageable 
because you've got to is have that like a, a text thing a text-based live yeah. chats and we, we tested that out the problem with that is actually it's almost open it's like one of those things where you kind of go online and you you can talk to an advisor yeah. the problem with that is it's almost too easy a way to access you know you've got to have a gp basically manning it the whole time mm. and when you're dealing with fifteen thousand patients really tricky that's a lot of patients yeah, exactly <laughs> so we we did we then tried we tried video um, and video consults, but actually found that video doesn't really save any time. You still need 10 minutes of a doctor, 10 minutes of a patient at the same time. Yeah. And also the broadband in, in this building, in most practices, is not very good. <laughs> so you get a couple of doctors on a call and it all grinds to a halt. And, yes. you know, and that's, just, that's annoying for all concerned. So um, that's when we kind of came up with this, this idea of let's gather the story from the patient up front. Like find out what's wrong with them and then put that in front of the doctor. And I guess the first step was then to go, right, well, first we have to have enough different clinical presentations. So you can't just go on and say, hey, look, we've, yeah, we've got this thing, e-consult thing. It works for back pain, but nothing else. Mm. You know, you have to have a kind of a body of consultation. So, you know, we had to put all the kind of common conditions online. Patients who are worried about they have a UTI or they might be depressed or they have back pain or they need them, you know, so we, that was the big bit of work at the beginning. Yeah. It was really designing, authoring all that clinical content. How big a bit of work is that? I mean, what do you have well, to do with that? How many people does that involve? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that was the big bit at the beginning. You know, we, we literally locked six doctors in a room for six weeks. That doesn't sound healthy, Mark. No, it's not. It was a windowless room as well. And it was, and Were you one of those six? Uh, uh, no, I wasn't actually. I was lucky. I was one of the lucky ones. I said, this sounds like a really good idea. Yeah, go and do that. Um, and it, but the idea there was to come up with almost the perfect consultation for each of those conditions. Yeah. So if you had a patient come in who said, I've got you know, abdominal pain, or I think I've got hay fever, mm-hmm. what are all the things that we would ask them? And then actually getting that group of GPs to agree on a set of questions that you would ask. You know, and that actually took some debating, but you then ended up with some really rich content that we then basically put on a website and pointed patients at. How do you get six GPs to agree on what to say to someone? Is that what took a while? Agreeing the histories was was actually all right. It was agreeing then the, the kind of the safety flagging within them. So at what point would actually, this sounds a bit more serious, I'd probably invite them in. You know, mm-hmm. those triggers, those are the things that kind of get debated and and, and argued about. Um, but that's healthy because you then end up with a set of content that actually most GPs will then accept. And that's what we found over time. Actually, you can put this content in front of lots of GPs and actually they go, yeah, that's a pretty good history for back pain or for depression or for hay fever. Yeah, and from that, they can work out what the best advice to give people is. Exactly. And actually what we found is you're taking a pretty thorough story from the patient, probably more thorough than the one that I'd have time to take in that 10 minute window. Because actually we have the opportunity, because it's done in the patient's time, to ask them lots of questions, possibly a bit more and go into a bit more of the safety. And you can also ask them things like their smoking status and their alcohol, you know, pick up useful public health type information at the same time. Do you find that patients are more honest? That's one of the really interesting phenomena that we've come across is that Actually, for some conditions and some patients, they they find it easier to impart information in this way. Yeah. So uh, we call it digital disinhibition. So if you think pa- conditions that patients might perceive as embarrassing, like hemorrhoids, or actually, or if they are anxious or depressed, actually, for a twenty two year old male who's feeling anxious, it's quite a hurdle to get into a physical GP consulting room and speak mm-hmm. to me. Whereas actually they don't mind doing interacting like that online and, and answering a series of questions. And actually we're uncovering, I think, you know, health presentations that we weren't picking up before. So it's actually good. I think it's a good thing. 
How quickly did that happen? <laughs> yes, good question. So the, the, well, this is the NHS and, <laughs> <laughs> and things don't... So it didn't happen quickly and didn't happen overnight. I think we were probably between um, 2015 and 2019 was our period where we were kind of growing. We, we went from 15 practices to 1,500. But that's, you know, over a, a number of years. How did you sell it? Because people need to know that it exists. So how did you do that? Was there a series of networking through friends of yours? Or did you just all sit down and go, well, we've got this. We think it could do well. Here's how we push it out. I mean, initially, we were selling it almost door to door to GPs, you know, and actually, and it's what's nice about it is it's relatively inexpensive technology, you know, um, because it's it's text based, it's on, runs on a website. So, you know, you need all the platform in infrastructure and, and everything, but it's not ridiculous. It doesn't involve AI and robots. And actually, we found that you could sell it to GP practices. You could convince them of the return on investment that you got. And actually, it made sense. So we, we you know, we presented it national conferences and GPs had come up to us afterwards go this is really cool are you selling it so that was the kind of that's how it, we started to grow it I think in, a, in about 2016 um, the NHS you know clocked on that something was going on and they said look this sounds like a good idea they then put some money behind not behind us but behind the idea so they then backed online consultation as an idea which must have been the official seal of approval absolutely I think that was the time when you know suddenly actually you know because it's all very well you know, and actually, you know, GPs telling other GPs is a good idea. But when kind of when the NHS swings behind something, yeah. it did two things, though. It it clearly helped us to scale, but it also introduced competition. That's something I want to talk about. How do you set a price point for something that doesn't exist yet and you've no idea who will take it? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I think we, we certainly set a we set a price point, which was, you know, we thought pretty reasonable. It was a little bit finger in the air, but it was based on what could a GP surgery afford to pay based on what we know they get per patient per year? And so, and we were selling at about 75p per patient per year. So if you think of an average practice, 10,000 patients, it would cost them about 7,000 pounds for the year. So, you know, not bad. And actually you could, you could prove a return on investment yeah. for that. So it was kind of okay. Um, NHS England put some funding behind it and actually they put, they put a decent amount of funding behind it. So 45 million pounds over three years. Which kind of think, oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you do the maths, though, divide that by the number of patients in England over three years, it's 25p per patient per year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it just knows so, what it's doing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Very clever. So effectively, they then set the price. And competitors who are trying to get in were like, well, we can do it for that. Which is, it's, you know, and that's good for the public purse in some ways. Okay. So um, I think the thing that that does, though, is it does slightly limit innovation. I think if you're, if you're very public sector about pricing something, yeah, what you can run the risk of then is saying, okay, well, great, we've got the price really low, but actually does that then stimulate the product or the investment in it and make things, you know, so I think that's a, it's an interesting and fine balance. That is interesting because I wanted to talk about future innovation. Is this your product or are you looking at future areas now? Yeah, no, very good point. And we, we, didn't, we didn't sit still. You know, we were growing in general practice. It was going well. We wanted to apply the same idea to different settings, different health settings. We've taken this idea of getting the story from a patient in their time. We've put this into a number of A&Es now where you walk in and there's a whole bank of iPads. So it looks a bit like an, an Apple store <laughs> and you, um, you, other tablets are available and it asks you who you are 
and then uh -huh. why you're there. So again, it's taking the story from the patient in their time. But what you can do in that environment is you can work out really quickly who's sick and who isn't. Mm -hmm. When a patient walks into an A&E, normally interacts with a receptionist and then a triage nurse. So, you know, if someone's got chest pain, it will only ask you a few questions, tell the patient to take a seat and then flag to the people behind the scenes. Yeah. This patient has chest pain, see them early. Whereas if someone comes into an A&E with hay fever, <laughs> it'll go not so urgent, you know, yeah. and actually put them lower down the queue because that's actually justified. They can safely wait in that waiting room. Lots of companies have a moment when they become successful. Your moment must have been in the COVID-19 pandemic when patients couldn't see their GPs. I, I think that's I think that's probably fair. That was the, the time that, um, you know, we'd been pushing this for a while and we had lots of practices using the platform, you know, 1500. But actually overnight, suddenly there was a need, it, there was a need for this sort of service. And I think there is a genuinely serious point to e-consult in that GPs and doctors were at the very start of this, they were very much at the front line. People died. They caught the disease. They had patients in there. Does this system make it safer to be a GP? Potentially, it does. So certainly, for, and we noticed that certainly in the kind of early phases of, of COVID when, you know, lots of GPs were working remotely, especially kind of more vulnerable GPs. So perhaps more elderly GPs or pregnant GPs, we could still put them to work. You know, they could work safely from home, managing patients via an e-consult. And, you know, that's that's a good thing. You know, actually, you're not losing your workforce because they're having to self-isolate. Say you're actually allowing them to keep working, which they often want to do, um, but do it safely. You know, you're never going to completely minimize the risk. You are always going to have to see a certain number of patients face to face. And, and as you know, GPs carried on seeing patients face to face throughout the pandemic. But certainly we didn't have to see everyone face to face. And so that definitely was, you know, safer for sure. Is there a part eConsult can play at predicting future new infections? Do you keep people's data? Do you hold on to that information? Um, we're we're effectively a we're a third party, so we don't we don't retain too much information. We don't certainly don't retain anything patient identifiable, because the information is um, completed by the patient. We're a data processor, so we push the information through to the GP, and that and then it's stored in your medical record as a patient. But we do keep some information and. There's definitely value in that. So if you think about perhaps not infectious diseases, certainly things like cancer, you know, we can pick up red flags or worrying symptoms that a patient's presenting with that may be suggestive of cancer potentially much earlier in that journey. And we can also aggregate so we can look over a over an area or over a you know over time at a patient and see if things are changing. So actually if you're asking questions you know, really on in that patient journey and you're asking a really thorough history, absolutely, we can pick up early signs of cancer. You could, in theory, pick up, say, an outbreak of diarrhea and vomiting in Nottingham or, wow, there's a lot of depressed people in Cardiff this weekend or, you know, absolutely, that's definitely a possibility. You have made it sound like eConsult was a success from the get-go. Were there any points when you thought, I don't think this is going to work, actually? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> it's, um, it, it, I think, um, you know, starting any business from kind of startup to SME, um, it's, it's always difficult because you're kind of balance, you're balancing investing in a business and making sure that the technology, you know, works and doesn't fall over and is safe and secure and you're, you're handling patient mm -hmm. data, it's really important versus revenue coming in from the NHS, which is notoriously you know, I, I mean, I love the NHS, right? I've trained by the NHS, I'm through and through, but 
in business terms, the NHS is notoriously difficult to deal with <laughs> because uh, businesses always find it hard to scale in the NHS, mainly because of the, the time it takes them to turn decisions around. Yeah. So there was always, it was always a balancing act between going fast and, and, and making sure we were sustainable. How do you get through that? Do you ever feel like this is completely out of my control? Have you ever had to go back and change things? We, we took it relatively slowly. So we didn't um, try and grow too fast. I don't, you can't kind of take the Californian move fast, break things. You know, it doesn't work in healthcare, um, certainly not in the NHS. You've got to bring both the patients and the doctors in the system, the nurses, the, all the clinicians, you've got to bring them on the journey a bit. Yeah. So we kind of knew that. And in some ways we were um, fortunate, we, we bootstrapped this business. So we didn't take on any external investment for a number of years, but in a way that was good because we, we could take it at our pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually that, you know, that meant that we grew organically over time. Let's take a break. Before that, let me tell you about the Evening Standards SME Expo, where you can hear from some of the UK's most successful entrepreneurs, like former Dragon's Den investor Ted Lavani and Holly Tucker, who founded Not On The High Street. It's free and is being held at Olympia London on May 25th and 26th. Get your tickets at smexpo.co.uk. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Having reached this point now where you're basically in every GP clinic in the UK, do you feel like it's been worth it? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I think, and, and just to be really clear, we're not in every GP. So, <laughs> so we're only in, a, in, in about half of them. Um, there are other other systems that do mm. e-consultation in, you know, in, in other practices um, as well. Um, obviously, we just do it best. But, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think so. But but I'm you know, I'm immensely proud that actually this is a new way that patients can interact with their their doctor. Effectively, you know, it's and that's really exciting. I do still think we're in almost the foothills of of what digital could do for healthcare. I still think there's a lot more we could do. Uh, I think there's a massive backlog sitting there in outpatients that could really use with some of this sort of triage. And I think not enough appointments are online. 
So you've seen in, in this surgery today, we've got very few patients in the building. Um, but that's because we've, we've for years put digital at the front door. So we, we only bring in the patients to this building that really need to be seen face to face. Right. And our patients have got very used to that. They now accept it. They're happy with it. But there's, there's still lots of surgeries out there that kind of post, I know we're not post COVID, but, you know, returning to a bit yes. more normality have gone back almost to the old way of working. And actually, I still, so I still think there's, you know, there's a lot of room for growth in online in healthcare. You know, I still say a lot more to do. Do you think we've stepped back then in progression? I think some of the recent messaging hasn't helped. So I think, you know, uh, there's been quite a few campaigns, you know, I, I should be allowed to see my GP face to face, which I don't think help because the natural response to that is to then offer more face to face, which is a kind of superficial kind of nod towards the past. And whereas actually what I think we should be doing is really learning from all the transformation that's happened in the last 18 months and embracing the good. Um, and actually what we've learned is that, yes, you know, patients should be able to see their GP face to face. Absolutely. But often they don't need to. Mm-hmm. And often it's better for them not to have to. So uh, I always say to practices, you know, you should be offering your patients a range of appointments, online, phone and face to face. Not just one modality. It should be all of them. It does sound really old-fashioned, doesn't it? Today you can have basically a choice with how you interact with the service you're working with. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely, why, why should healthcare be any different? You know, no, absolutely, no doubt, general practice is in a difficult space at the moment because demand, you know, we, September, saw th- we saw 30 million patients in general practice. It's busier than ever. Right? So actually, we do have to start thinking a bit differently about how we manage that demand. And yeah. we're doing it with less GPs. So you're having to use more nurses, physios, paramedics, um, pharmacists, etc. That's why digital digital offers a solution there. Because if you're you can use the technology to filter out those patients who are better off being seen by a physio or a pharmacist or a nurse, and actually really you know and reserve the, the the GP for the more complex patient or the one that needs you know a longer appointment because actually there's a lot of other things going on with that patient. Digital's definitely here to stay, and it should it should certainly be part of the mix. It would be a real backward step, I think, to go back to all patients should be face to face. I just think that's, that's that's the wrong knee jerk reaction. But do people miss the human interaction? So how, how important is that action between a patient and a doctor? Listen, I don't don't underestimate how important it is. It is still really important, and I think um, it's slightly different in the A and E setting because you're always going to end up seeing a human, whatever mm. happens. Okay, all, all we're really doing in the A and E setting is just is improving that first triage step. So instead of you having to wait in a queue for an hour to work out how sick you are, you've triaged everyone very quickly, but you'll still end up seeing a human. And that's important. I think especially in an A&E setting where you're generally a bit sicker mm-hmm. and you do need that kind of, you know, perhaps blood tests and, and some hands-on examination. I think in general practice, human contact is definitely important, but not always so I think that's, you know, and, I, and I'm definitely not advocating that everything should be online. There's a, always a place for face-to-face um, or phone. But I think, you know, it, actually sometimes for some conditions, you don't need to come in and see a human. Mm-hmm. And you can actually still remote, you can still do empathy remotely. So, you know, we've still got doctors dealing with that patient who's got anxiety, who's submitted that e-consult, you know, and often they'll ring the patient back. And actually, you know, so I think there's still, the empathy can still exist between patient and doctor. It doesn't have to be in the same room. Can it be done through something like a voice assistant, like Alexa? Can you have empathy or simulate empathy with a patient? Are you looking at those areas? 
I don't, I don't think yet. We are certainly looking at, at, at areas, you know, at voice, because actually voice might be a really neat way to ask the questions up front. Um, I still think we're a way off replacing the human decision maker in medicine. Um, I think AI, things like AI has a great, has you know, great advantages in things like reading lots of CT scans very quickly. Apply it to the breadth of what could walk into a general practice, and it struggles because actually, it's huge, you know, and, and often very complex. So yes, AI will help, but I think more in a kind of assistive way over time, incrementally. What about age differences? Do you find the younger people who have maybe grown up in a digital world find it easier or more comfortable to do something like this than some of the, the older patients? That's definitely true. I'm sure they do find it easier. But what's interesting about general practice is that people in their 20s, 30s and 40s don't tend to be the people that need general practice. You know, if you, if you think about that, age, you know, some do if they've got chronic conditions, but generally they don't. The people that interact with general practice are people in their 50s, 60s and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but actually most of those people, like not all, but most are actually online. So let's take you back right to the very beginning when you qualified as a doctor. What did it feel like to just walk into a GP surgery? <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, that, that came off the back of, you know, a number of years working in hospitals, which is a very different environment. Um, and then you do a, a definitely a, a year, a minimum year in a GP surgery, certainly when I was, it's a few years back now when I was training. So, uh, but that first time walking into a GP surgery as a GP registrar is actually quite intimidating. Really? Yeah, because it's very different. It's, it's a very different environment to the, the hospital. It's, um, you know, they're generally smaller buildings, you know, um, th th there's less um, kind of hustle and bustle that you get with a hospital. But actually what you do get is you get a real um, sense of community with a GP surgery. That's mm -hmm. very, that's different to a hospital. And certainly the, it was, it, you know, it's just different because you're seeing patients as a GP at a cadence of one every 10 minutes. So in a morning you'd see 20 people face to face back in the days when I started uh, and then you go out and do your home visits and then you come back and do your admin and then you'd see 20 more and you know so um, yeah it was it was it was a different way of working definitely different pace yeah but did you feel like this was it this was where I was going to spend the rest of my career this is how we're going to do things yeah very interesting because I think general practice you do tend to settle in a practice generally um, I guess I've always had slightly you know itchy feet a bit and wanting to try different things and and certainly that the group of gps i fell in with were similar so we were we were f fairly quickly looking at different ways of working um and, and trying and exploring different things and looking back to the start and what you wanted to achieve as a doctor compared to what you have now is there a big difference um yes it is certainly i don't think i could ever have, have thought of doing what i do now back then. I enjoyed seeing a patient and making a diagnosis, interacting with patients. That was interesting. You know, what's amazing now is that I feel like we're doing that at scale. So it's actually I'm facilitating, you know, uh, you know, not, not just me, the team who created this idea, but you know, we're, we're helping literally tens of thousands of patients every day now to interact with their doctor online. That's so exciting that that junior doctor back then or that medical student would be quite surprised at what's happened. Happy? Would he be happy? Oh yeah, no, I think really, yeah, really, <laughs> very happy. That was an invitation to meet Dr. Murray Ellender of eConsult. If you like that, maybe tell your friends about it and please do drop in again. We're around every Monday morning. Hit your follow button and we'll see you then or whenever you like because it's always a pleasure to meet you. Thank you.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.